you. That concludes general questions. The next item of business is First Minister's questions, and at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Uh, thank you very much, Presiding Officer. Yesterday, the government finally found the missing documents in their ferry fiasco. For a brief moment, it looked like islanders and taxpayers here in Scotland might finally get the answers they deserve. But they didn't. For weeks, Nicola Sturgeon has stood in this chamber and told MSPs that Derek Mackay signed off the vital contract for Ferguson Marine to build replacement ferries. But Operation Blame Derek Mackay has a fatal flaw. This new document, previously hidden from the public, reveals that the person who signed this deal at the final stage was the Deputy First Minister. Civil servants escalated this to John Swinney. They waited for the Deputy First Minister to give the green light. Honest John's hands are all over this dodgy deal. First Minister, how do you explain blaming Derek Mackay when your own documents confirm that John Swinney signed off this deal? First Minister. I think um, all that Douglas Ross is displaying right now is his own utter desperation, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which perhaps is not surprising given events since we uh, last all gathered here for First Minister's questions in the Chamber. Uh, let me just uh, read from the emails that were published uh, yesterday. Uh, the important one, and remember, uh, and people who have listened to this uh, will remember uh, that I said uh, that I thought if this email uh, could be found, then what it would be is a one-line email saying that the Minister was content uh, with the proposal. Uh, so here's the, Minister from Derek Mackay's, uh, here's the email from Derek Mackay's office. The Minister is content with the proposals and would like it to be moved on as quickly as possible. That was the decision uh, to proceed uh, with the contract. And then uh, the email from uh, the official who had briefed the Deputy First Minister. Uh, the Deputy First Minister now understands that Mr Mackay has cleared the proposal. Uh, so it seems pretty obvious to anybody who is looking at this. The Deputy First Minister did not take the decision. Uh, he wasn't even, he wasn't even copied in to the advice of the 8th of October uh, that was the basis of that decision. He was simply briefed on the decision yep. after it was taken, not even at his request, but on the initiative of an official. It is not unusual, really not unusual, for finance secretaries to be briefed on all sorts of decisions that involve the spending of money. It does not mean that the finance secretary has actually taken the decision. Now, I would say, presiding officer, uh, that Douglas Ross should know that's how government works. But of course, Douglas Ross doesn't know how government uh, works. And on recent evidence, Douglas Ross is unlikely to ever know how government works. <laughs> Douglas Ross. It, it seems from that answer that the First Minister doesn't know how emails work, because it's very clear in here how officials escalated it to John Swinney, waiting for his green light. And in these emails, civil servants state that the Deputy First Minister confirmed, and this is a quote from these emails from First Minister, the absence of banana skins. John Swinney couldn't find a single banana skin when they were absolutely littered around him. There were more banana skins in this project than there are in the monkey house at Edinburgh Zoo. And now, 
the latest incompetence from this SNP government. They published a series of responses to uh, the request for more information that were heavily redacted, lines blacked out. Except they've done such a poor job at redacting the documents, if you copy and paste them into Microsoft Word, the information is revealed. In one section of the redacted document, it warns of a risk of legal challenge for this contract. It states, and I quote, the impact of a successful legal challenge could be high. In the worst case, the contract could be declared ineffective. In other words, going ahead with this contract was such a bad idea, it could open up the government to even more losses than they've already experienced. First Minister, it's clear to everyone now why you and your government wanted that redacted, but it's now in the public domain. So tell us, we all knew this was a bad deal. Was it also unlawful? First Minister. I think, um, Douglas Ross has uh, no doubt unwittingly just hold his uh, own arguments below uh, the waterline, uh, pardon the pun. Um, two, two matters here. Firstly, uh, on the Deputy First Minister not seeing any problems uh, with the award of the contract. That's because the Deputy First Minister had not been copied into the paperwork that formed the basis for the decision. So the Deputy First Minister couldn't have been the person taking the decision because he wasn't copied into the 8th of October uh, paperwork. Uh, he wasn't the decision taker. As the members, as the members makes clear, he was briefed on the decision after the Transport Minister had taken uh, the decision. And secondly, on, on the issues of legal challenge, ministers uh, are briefed uh, on many, many issues uh, that decisions could be subject to legal challenge. Uh, on some occasions, uh, the minority of occasions, that comes to pass. On most occasions, uh, that doesn't. And these are issues that ministers have to weigh up in reaching, uh, discussion, in reaching decisions. Uh, but where uh, I think Douglas Ross undermines his own case here is that in this, it didn't come uh, to pass, of course, that the contract was legally uh, challenged. So ministers weigh up all of these issues and they come to decisions. And what uh, is now beyond any doubt whatsoever, and I suspect this is what is really annoying uh, Douglas Ross, is that the minister who took that decision uh, was Derek Mackay, and that is now clear from the email chain. Douglas Ross. That, that is not clear, First Minister. In fact, the exact opposite is clear. And maybe the, the stony silence from John Swinney today, which is unusual in these exchanges, is telling it in itself. But, but there we have it. There we have it, presiding officer. The SNP's secret Scotland, foiled by copy and paste. You can't even redact documents properly. It's little worry these ferries aren't on time and on budget. So, CMAL warned you about the risks. We now know your own legal advice was this was high risk, but you went ahead anyway, and taxpayers and islanders are paying the price for your failures. Yeah. These new emails state John Swinney understands the background and the way is clear to award. If he doesn't clear the deal, it doesn't go ahead. That's what these emails yeah. say. Yeah. He yeah. went ahead knowing as we've just revealed, that it could open the government to legal challenge. 
So we now know all of this, but what we still don't know is why the Deputy First Minister ignored all those banana skins. The most crucial document in this affair is still missing. The one that explains why John Swinney charged ahead against expert advice. Yep. Last night, Audit Scotland said this. There remains insufficient documentary evidence to explain why the decision was made to proceed with the contract, given the significant risks and concerns raised by CMAL. Mm -hmm. So will the First Minister tell us, why did John Swinney go ahead with this deal against the advice of experts when he knew that this contract was so bad it could be challenged in court and rendered ineffective? First Minister. Well, three points, presiding officer. Firstly, uh, in government, finance secretaries uh, are very often uh, briefed on decisions that involve the spending of money. In this case, of course, the budget had already uh, been uh, approved uh, by John Swinney. Uh, secondly, it's interesting because he has to do this uh, to sustain the case he's trying to make here. Uh, Douglas Ross has selectively quoted uh, from the email uh, from the official who did uh, brief John Swinney. So let me read the bits uh, that uh, Douglas Ross read out. Uh, the, the email starts, just finished my call with the Deputy First Minister, who of course was Finance Secretary at the time. Douglas Ross read out these bits. He now understands the background and the way is clear to award. Let me uh, read out the bit that Douglas Ross didn't read out. So after he now understands the background, it goes on to say, and that Mr Mackay has cleared oh, the proposal. Oh, now, bit. had Douglas Ross read out that bit, of course, his entire argument here would have fallen to pieces. So it is a bit misleading, um, I think, presiding officer. And lastly, lastly, members, Members, I, I'm not sure, yeah. Presiding yeah. Officer, Douglas Ross should be speaking to any other leader right now uh, about their backbenchers. Yeah. I suspect he might have <laughs> issues rather closer to home. Finally, Presiding Officer, the reasons for the decision are clear. The basis for the decision, in particular, the mitigations that had been put in place to address the risk of no refund, full refund guarantee, are set out in the paperwork of the 8th of October. Now, without the email that we now have from Derek Mackay, we could have assumed that that was the case, but I accept we didn't know that for sure. But now that we have uh, that email, it is clear that the decision uh, that was taken was taken on the basis of all of the information and the mitigation set out in the paperwork uh, of 8th of October 2015. Uh, that is paperwork that wasn't copied to John Swinney, that went to Derek Mackay as Transport Minister, uh, and Derek Mackay took the decision. That is clear to anybody who reads the emails that are now published. What is clear to anybody and everybody from these emails is the junior transport minister agreed something and it was escalated to the deputy first minister for the green light for approval so they can put in this, uh, this email the way is clear to award. That was from the Deputy First Minister. He had yep. to sign it off. But the documents that's still missing is the crucial one. The one that explains why John Swinney did this. Now, the First Minister has forgotten. Her, her memory's gone blank again. 
But the good news is the man with all of the answers is literally sitting yep. right next yep. to her. If the First Minister won't tell us all of the details, let's hear from the Deputy First Minister. Let's hear why he chose to ignore expert advice. Let's hear why he forged ahead with a deal that has cost taxpayers a quarter of a billion pounds. And, Presiding Officer, let's hear why John Swinney decided to give the green light to a deal that opens this government up to potential legal action. The stench of cover-up and corruption is running through this whole sorry affair. If the First Minister, if the First Minister won't come clean, if she won't come clean, come clean, let's get John Swinney on the stand. Will the First Minister agree to the Deputy First Minister appearing? Will Will the First Minister agree to the Deputy First Minister appearing before Parliament today to give a statement in this chamber today yeah. to yes. face scrutiny yes. and tell the public what on earth he was thinking? First Minister, it's not, it's not my job to help out desperate Douglas Ross, frankly, presiding officer. Uh, the Deputy First Minister on this issue was briefed as Finance Secretary because a decision had been taken by the Transport Minister that involved the spending of money. That's why it's finance officials uh, that, or a finance official that briefed him. Um, I would repeat again, Presiding Officer, that Douglas Ross has only been able uh, to sustain, and I don't think he's done it particularly well, his argument today by selectively quoting, selectively quoting from an email, by missing out the crucial words that show, that underline what is already clear in the email from Derek Mackay's office, that Derek Mackay took the decision. And finally, um, I don't know if Douglas Ross has actually bothered to uh, read all of the paperwork uh, on this. I suspect from his questions the answer to that is no. But the paperwork that shows why the decision uh, was taken has always been there. It is the paperwork of the 8th of October 2015. And what we now know is that Derek Mackay took the decision on the basis of the advice set out there. That is the facts. Uh, I'm sorry if Douglas Ross cannot accept those facts. I'm sorry if he is too desperate to do so. But that, I'm afraid, is his problem. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Can the First Minister confirm how many investigations into bullying by current or former SNP Cabinet Ministers there have been, if those investigations have concluded, and what the outcomes of those investigations are? First Minister. Um, I uh, was indeed asked uh, this question by journalists over the course of the last few days, and as I made clear uh, to journalists, I am not in a position uh, to get into uh, these issues because there are very considerable uh, legal uh, data protection uh, issues uh, that I am bound by. Governments have a duty uh, of transparency, but governments also have a duty to abide by the law uh, on privacy and on data protection. A complaint uh, by its nature includes personal detail, uh, data of both the complainer and the person complained about. This personal information can only be made available out with the narrow confines of the complaint if there is a lawful basis within GDPR uh, to do so. That is UK legislation, not legislation passed by this Parliament. So yes, there is a duty of transparency, uh, but there is also a duty to abide by the law. Uh, finally, on this 
presiding officer, Anas Arwar should perhaps confer uh, with his deputy, Jackie Bailey, because she, of course, was the, uh, one of the co-authors of a report uh, published uh, by a committee of this parliament last year, of course, into uh, complaints about another former minister. And I'm going to quote from that report. The committee believes that the fundamental principle of any complaints process is that confidentiality must be observed. The Scottish Government has a duty to ensure the confidentiality of the process. Confidentiality of an investigation is of paramount importance. That's what the committee uh, of this parliament said. Um, and, of course, uh, those are the constraints uh, that I answer these questions within. Anna Sarwar. That committee also found the First Minister guilty of uh, misleading this parliament. Uh, I don't think she should forget uh, that either. But, but no, one, no, one is asking, no one is asking the First Minister to reveal uh, confidential details. What they're saying is to reveal the outcome of that investigation. So the First Minister didn't answer the questions. Let me quote, we have to lead by example, we have to show leadership, and we have to make it very clear that those that work in this parliament, those that work elsewhere in society, need the fullest protection from bullying. That's SNP leader Ian Blackford at Westminster in regards to the Preeti Patel case. And I agree with him. After the allegations against Alex Salmond, and then Derek Mackay, and the bullying findings against UK government ministers, we need to restore trust in politics. And that must start with complaints being handled transparently. So I ask the First Minister again, will she today confirm the outcome, not the personal details, the outcome of the bullying investigation into Fergus Ewing? Can she confirm if there have been any other investigations into current and former Scottish ministers? And will she commit to make public the conclusion of any and all complaints upheld against ministers in this government? First Minister. Well, firstly, I... Um, and this government take any complaints about any ministers uh, very seriously. Uh, that is evidenced by both the development and the publication of the updated procedure for handling complaints uh, made by civil servants, either about current or about former uh, ministers. Uh, so this is not a question of any complaints if they are raised not being investigated. Uh, but that has to be done within the law. Um, I uh, have to abide by the law. I have a duty to uphold the law. And uh, there are laws here on privacy and data protection that apply. Uh, and if I answer uh, questions on this, uh, I will be at risk uh, of breaching that law. And I'm sure uh, next week or the week after that, Anna Sarwar or his colleagues, of course, uh, will be asking for me to be held to account uh, for doing that. So these are serious issues. Uh, they have to be treated seriously, but they also have to be treated uh, within the confines of the law that applies. Let me be very clear. I'm not asking for the data. I'm not asking for the personal details of the person making the complaint. What I'm saying is the public deserve to know the outcome of an investigation relating to ministers in the SNP government. That's an issue of public transparency. Because the fact that Nicola Sturgeon can't escape from is that her government and this SNP operate in a culture of secrecy and cover-up. It's not the first time we've heard it today. Cover-up when it comes to allegations against ministers. Cover-ups when it comes to the awarding of government ferry contracts. Shamefully cover-ups when it comes to the deaths of children in hospital. And a culture that is contempt for journalists and anyone who dare ask a difficult question of this First Minister. One standard for them and another standard for everybody else. One where an SNP MP can avoid being disciplined for sexual harassment and instead lead a parliamentary debate on the subject. 
In 2003, Nicola Sturgeon said of the then Scottish Government, they have the arrogance of a party which has been in power for too long and no longer believe the common values of decency, fairness and honesty apply to them. I can't think of a more appropriate way of describing this government led by Nicola Sturgeon. <laughs> After 15 years of being in government, why does Nicola Sturgeon think it's one standard for her and another standard for everyone else? First Minister. Firstly, Presiding Officer, um, the people of Scotland have had two opportunities in just a year uh, to decide whether they think my party has been in government for too long or not, and I think their answer on uh, both occasions was pretty uh, clear. But these, these issues are important, Presiding Officer. So firstly, on issues on the Queen Elizabeth uh, Hospital, uh, of course, I'm so opposed to transparency there. Uh, I've actually, with my government, established a full, independent, statutory, public inquiry uh, into these issues. On questions from journalists, I uh, stand to be corrected if uh, somebody can challenge me on this, but I've probably answered more questions from journalists over the past couple of years than any other political leader anywhere on these islands. Uh, thirdly, um, I, in my view... Uh, ended up the subject of investigations over the last couple of years because I wasn't prepared to cover up accusations uh, against a former minister. The fact is, though, I have to abide by the law. Uh, all parties, whether I like it or not, have rights under data protection law uh, that protects their personal data, and that includes the fact or the detail of complaints. Uh, processing of that data can, under the law, only occur if there is a lawful basis to do so. So that is the legal position. Uh, yes, governments have a duty of transparency, and I take that very seriously. But governments also have a duty to abide by the law on privacy and data protection. Absolutely. And if we breach that law, Anna Sarwar would be one of the first standing up here to accuse us of doing so. We'll now move to constituency and general supplementaries, and I call Joe Fitzpatrick. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The First Minister and others across the Chamber will, I'm sure, join me in condemning reports of sexist, racist and homophobic comments at the Scottish Football Writers Association Gala Dinner and offer support to those who walked out in protest. Whilst recognising the apology that has been issued, does the First Minister agree that this appears to be a shocking illustration of the outdated discriminatory attitudes that still exist in football and indeed in journalism that need to be eradicated? First Minister. Um, yeah, I very much agree with those sentiments from what I've read uh, of what occurred at uh, that particular awards dinner. It was unacceptable. And I would pay tribute to Ailey Barber uh, and others uh, who I think very courageously took a stand against that and spoke out. It's not easy ever uh, for uh, any woman in particular in a traditionally man's world to speak out uh, in that way. And I think Ailey and her colleagues deserve credit for doing so. Um, I think we've seen over uh, the past week that is one example. I think there has been uh, another reported uh, that sexism and misogyny still runs far too deep in our society. And it is uh, a reminder that it must be tackled. But it is also a reminder that it starts with male behaviour. And it's male behaviour that we must see change. Rachel Hamilton. 
Thank you, Presiding Officer. The First Minister may be aware that the timetable uh, for the new Reston station in my constituency doesn't include adequate evening services, and this is a problem for my constituents. Rages have said that there are no plans for ScotRail to, to uh, provide evening services, and it's for Transport Scotland to confirm. So we've got an issue with 40% of cancellations of trains to Tweed Bank from Edinburgh. Uh, which is, is caused by the pay dispute, and now we've got no evening services for my constituents. Will the First Minister confirm that she will work with Transport Scotland to ensure that there are these evening services, and does she think that this service is adequate for my constituents? First Minister. It's important that people in all parts of the country have access to real services that are, are appropriate, so uh, I certainly agree on that general point. I'm happy to raise this issue uh, with Transport Scotland uh, and come back to the member in due course. Michael Mara. Thank you, President Officer. My constituent, Ryan Caswell, has been a resident patient in Carsview Mental Health Unit in Dundee for two years and three months as a result of delayed discharge. Ryan has autism spectrum disorder and learning disabilities. Ryan's parents are beside themselves with worry due to the lack of appropriate medical care being provided to their son. They fear for his life. Ryan struggles to communicate. For much of the last year, he has been crying out in severe pain, which has led only to restraints and sedation. After many months of suffering without help, he had five impacted molars removed. The staff available to him do not have sufficient medical training to diagnose patients in their care. Officer, there have been two damning reports into mental health services in Tayside. The second of the strong reports has been described to me as the most worrying report in Scottish public life. This has gone on for years as people suffer and people die. First Minister, when will it change? First Minister. Firstly, these are really important issues. The Independent Oversight Group for Mental Health in Tayside is providing scrutiny and assurance on the implementation of the Trust and Respect recommendations to improve uh, mental health, and that group continues to work with partners third sector and uh, people with lived experience uh, to deliver improvements to mental health services and achieve uh, outcomes that local communities and individuals have uh, a right to expect. Um, I'm not uh, familiar with all of the details of Ryan's case from what has been described there. It uh, sounds to me to be unacceptable. I think in fairness to Ryan and to his parents who are understandably anxious and distressed, um, I want to uh, look further into that um, and uh, when I've had the opportunity to do so, I or the health secretary uh, will reply in more detail to the member. Eleanor Whitton. To ask the First Minister if she shares my disgust at the comments made by Tory MP Lee Anderson in the House of Commons that those who are using food banks across these islands do so because they cannot cook and they cannot budget, and that this demonstrates clearly that the Tories are completely out of touch with those suffering from the cost of living crisis that they created. First Minister. These comments, these comments were despicable and disgusting. It seems to me that every time a Tory MP opens their mouth right now, uh, they simply demonstrate how out of touch they are with the suffering of too many people across Scotland and the entire UK. Uh, people are having to go to food banks not because they can't cook. People are having to go to food banks right now because they don't have enough money to feed themselves and their children. Uh, my government is and will continue to do everything we can to get money into the pockets uh, of the lowest income families across the country, the Scottish Child Payment being the chief example of that. 
but it is well past time uh, that the Prime Minister, the Chancellor and the UK Government uh, stood up, stepped up uh, and took action to get money into the pockets of those who need it to stop people having to make decisions about heating their homes or feeding their children. Alexander Stewart. Thank you, Presiding Officer. First Minister, midwifery services across Scotland are at breaking point. A survey conducted by the Royal College of Midwives has revealed that three-quarters of midwives in Scotland are thinking of leaving the profession due to understaffing, burnout and fears they cannot provide safe care. Despite the Scottish Government providing £12 million of funding to support the mental health and well-being of the workforce, this is clearly having little effect. First Minister, lives of women and babies are at risk. This is not safe. This is not sustainable and this is not acceptable. So what urgent action can the Scottish Government put in place to rectify this situation? First Minister. Midwives play a key role in making sure that women receive the care they need uh, when they need it and we value the role of the RCM and its members, uh, the role they have played in our ongoing response to the pandemic. Uh, the Health Secretary actually met uh, with the RCM uh, this week to discuss the report and its recommendations and we will continue to work with the RCM and midwives generally to address uh, the pressures that they and other health professionals are working under. Of course, overall nursing and midwifery staffing in Scotland is at a record high. It has increased by 14.5% uh, since this government took office um, and uh, that is uh, the facts of the matter but of course all of our health professionals are working under extreme pressure uh, and through our investment support and reforms we will continue to support them uh, in the invaluable job that they do. Carol Mocken. Thank you. The First Minister will be aware that this week is Mental Health Awareness Week with a focus on loneliness. Findings from the Mental Health Foundation showed that in Scotland, 25% of people surveyed had felt lonely some or all of the time over the previous month. And concerningly, 31% of people said feelings of loneliness had negatively impacted on their mental health. Action is needed. And despite having 15 years in office, the government have failed to deliver an effective mental health strategy that supports the well-being of the Scottish population. Why has the First Minister failed so badly in this regard and what steps can she set out today, both in prevention and intervention, to address the crisis that is in our mental health services? First Minister. Mental health uh, is and, and will continue to be a priority. As I have said many times in this uh, chamber, the fact that more people feel able to come forward uh, with mental health problems now is something uh, that we should continue to support, but we must make sure the services are there uh, for them when they need them. Uh, the focus, of course, of Mental Health Awareness Week uh, is uh, loneliness and isolation. In that regard, uh, the Scottish Government is supporting a range of work. Uh, last year, we provided uh, more than £20 million to local communities through the Communities Mental Health and Wellbeing Fund for Adults. Uh, earlier this month, we announced that a further £15 million would be available in this financial year. That fund is supporting almost 2,000 local community projects, many of them addressing loneliness and isolation. And we're investing £10 million uh, over the course of this Parliament specifically to tackle uh, social isolation and loneliness. So we will continue to make the investments uh, and do everything we can to support the many organisations across the country uh, that do such good work. Question number three, Alex Cole-Hamilton. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Do you ask the First Minister when the Cabinet will next meet? First Minister. Tuesday. 
Alex Cole-Hamilton. I'm very grateful for that reply. Presiding officer, raw sewage is released into our rivers every single day. It is routinely dumped by Scotland's government-owned water company. Thanks to investigations by the ferret, we now know that this happened more than 10,000 times last year. That's 30 times a day. Scottish Water is only required to monitor 3% of sewage release points, so the true figure will be much, much worse. Scotland is way behind England on this. This is an SNP Green Coalition that claims to champion the environment, but the Environment Minister herself described the routine dumping of untreated human waste in our rivers as vital. Presiding officer, this shouldn't be allowed to happen. We're talking about excrement, wet wipes, sanitary towels. In West Edinburgh, right now, there are otters, fish, children and dogs playing in the River Armand, where sewage has been dumped hundreds of times. So can I ask the First Minister, why aren't there targets to end the release of sewage into our rivers, and how long does she plan to allow this to continue? First Minister. This is a, an important issue that Alex Cole Hamilton has raised. Uh, the cleanliness of our rivers and our seas is of paramount importance, and how we deal uh, with waste of all forms in our country, uh, of course, is a big issue, a big challenge for governments everywhere. Uh, I have not, uh, my apologies to Alex Cole Hamilton, I have not uh, seen the investigation by the ferret. Uh, I will take steps to ensure that I do see that, um, and I'll come back to him with more detail about what the government uh, is doing um, and what more uh, the government needs to do. Like all governments across the world to tackle what is a serious issue. Question number four, Kenneth Gibson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to the report published last Friday, Owning the Future, a framework of regulations for decarbonising owner-occupied homes in Scotland, commissioned by the existing Homes Alliance. First Minister. Uh, the Scottish Government welcomes the publication of this research by the existing Homes Alliance. Heating our homes and places of work is the third largest cause of emissions in Scotland. In light of this, our Heat and Buildings strategy, published in October, uh, set out over 100 different actions to support households and businesses to make energy efficiency improvements and transition from fossil fuel heating systems. The strategy includes a commitment to regulate for minimum standards in homes and we will consult in detail on our proposed approach uh, in the coming year. The existing Homes Alliance and others have worked positively and constructively with us on this to date and we will continue to engage with the organisation and others as we finalise our approach. Kenneth Gibson. I thank the First Minister for her detailed reply. This is a highly complex area with very detailed recommendations, including the need for legislation if we are fully to decarbonise our buildings by 2045. Scottish solutions identified in the report include the installation of low-temperature heat pumps, district heating and, for some homes, biomass boilers. The key driver will be improving building fabric efficiency. Can the First Minister confirm that as we focus more on decarbonisation, her Government will prioritise a fabric-first approach? introduce a fabric energy efficiency standard, begin the phase-out of fossil fuels for heating and act to ensure we have the skilled workers in our communities necessary to deliver on our vital climate change targets. First Minister. Uh, we have a very long-standing commitment to a fabric-first approach that is critical to reducing demand uh, making homes warmer and preparing them for zero emissions technologies. We have committed to regulating minimum energy efficiency standards in homes by 2033. The standard will be equivalent to EPCC, reformed to focus on fabric measures. Fabric improvement alone uh, though, will not get us close to net zero. We need a strong focus on heating system change. 
Uh, we will phase out the need to install newer replacement fossil fuel boilers in off-gas from 2025 and in on-gas areas from 2030. Uh, the opportunity presented by the heat transition will require further capability and capacity in our supply chains, so we are also developing a new heat and building supply chain delivery plan uh, with industry so that we can deliver this work at the pace and the scale that is needed. Daniel Johnson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Can I thank Kenny Gibson for, for raising this? Because 28% of people in Scotland live in tenemented uh, dwellings. The proportion is even higher in my constituency. On page three of the report, it sets out very clearly uh, that we need to look at existing forms of heating beyond air source heat pumps because they quite simply will not work for people in tenemented dwellings. Likewise, the legal framework right now makes it difficult for tenement uh, owners to do the sorts of retrofitting required. So will the Scottish Government con give consideration to plans for investment in municipal heat networks and for a change in the law to make it easier for tenement owners to come together to fit the retrofitting uh, that they require to heat homes sustainably, even for people living in tenemented dwellings? First Minister. Um, yes, we, we will do all of that. And I, I certainly have a lot of sympathy with the points made. I also uh, represent a constituency, albeit in a a different city uh, that has a high number of tenemental properties uh, within it. Uh, in terms of the heat network uh, fund, the £300 million heat network uh, fund, uh, that will support both large networks uh, suited to urban environments as well as small rural and community-led heat networks and communal uh, systems. Uh, so these are complex issues. I recognise that, I think, in my response to Kenny Gibson and the are issues that we are working through in partnership with industry. Uh, but it's important that all of these points are borne in mind uh, as we continue to do so. Liam Kerr. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The cost of the heat and building strategy is £33 billion. This government has offered £1.8 billion towards it. Who will pay the rest? First Minister. I, I think Liam Kerr. Uh, should know the process that we have underway uh, right now. Of course, the £1.8 is over the course of this Parliament. That is significant uh, investment. Uh, it will support those least able to pay. It will support our Scotland's Heat Network Fund, uh, the Social Housing Net Zero Heat Fund, for example. Uh, but we have also established the Green Heat Finance Task Force uh, to recommend ways to increase private sector investment and to look, of course, at contributions from individuals, which we all want to keep to a minimum. Uh, as the Minister set out uh, when he launched the strategy, this will require us to lever uh, significant private uh, capital investment. As uh, I was at the All Energy conference yesterday and heard, heard Keith Anderson uh, of Scottish Power make this point, uh, the good news is uh, there is significant, significant amounts of private capital looking uh, for ways to invest in the net zero transition. Uh, so the task force has an important job to do and that work is underway. Question number five, Megan Gallagher. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what meetings the Scottish Government has had with the private and voluntary nursery sector regarding delivery of its early learning and childcare strategy. First Minister. Uh, we continue to engage with the childcare sector in open and constructive discussions as we develop a new strategic plan for our childcare commitments for the remainder of this Parliament. Providers in the private third and childminding sectors are playing a crucial role in the successful delivery of the transformational uh, 1140 hours offer, uh, through which over 111,000 children are accessing high quality funded early learning and childcare. 
Uh, Scotland has the highest ELC funding rates across the UK as a result of the expansion average rates paid to providers for three to five year olds received, uh, receiving funded ELC have increased by 48% between 2017 and 2021. So we continue to work closely with partners in local government to ensure that providers are paid sustainable rates that reflect the cost of delivery. Megan Gallagher. Scottish Conservative MSPs have met with concerned nurseries across the PVI sector who have continuously raised concerns over the relationship with local authorities. We have tried to arrange a meeting with the Minister of Children and Young People to raise these concerns on their behalf, in particular the funding formula that creates inequality between local authorities and the PVI sector. Regretfully, the Minister has now rescheduled two meetings that were due to take place. First Minister, these matters are pressing. So if the Minister cannot meet with concerned MSPs, will you? First Minister. Uh, Scottish Government officials have already met with representatives of the Ambition uh, 1140 Hours Group recently to discuss specifically their concerns. A commitment has been given to a further meeting in the near future to continue these discussions. And of course, uh, there will be ministerial engagement uh, as required. I think it is important to recognise that the funding agreement between the Scottish Government and COSLA supporting the expansion that has been delivered so far allows local authorities to pay sustainable rates to private and third sector nurseries who provide free early learning and childcare places and also to childminders. But I know there are concerns and we want to address uh, those. Uh, the financial sustainability uh, health check that was published in August 2021 found that 88% uh, of private and third sector providers uh, delivering funded ELC plan to pay all staff in their setting the real living wage from August last year, and that compares to a position before the expansion in 2016, where around 80% of practitioners were paid less uh, than the living wage at the time. Of course, public funding accounts for around 33 to 45 per cent of overall income for private childcare services. Uh, the majority uh, also have provide private services. So there are bigger issues here uh, that need to be addressed, but we will continue to engage uh, with those in that sector uh, and have a determination to do so. Natalie Dawn. Thank you, President Officer. With energy bills and inflation skyrocketing unchecked by the UK Tory government, Thousands of parents are having to resort to skipping meals to ensure their children can get fed first. Can I ask the First Minister, as more and more young families struggle to stay afloat through the cost of living crisis, what further action the Scottish Government has taken to help new parents make ends meet so that neither them or their children need to go hungry? First Minister, but I would remind members of the need to ensure that supplementaries do reflect the substantive question. It is a really important issue. Uh, the difficulty people are having feeding their children right now is perhaps one of the most important issues uh, that any politician and any government has to address. Um, and actually, the free childcare expansion is very relevant here because it is worth up to almost £5,000, £4,900 each year for eligible children. So it is one of the significant interventions that this government has made. In addition to that, of course, our five family benefits includes the Scottish Child Payment, uh, now £20 per week, and set to extend to under-16s and rise to £25 per week by the end of this year. Willie Rennie. The problem is that there is a massive exodus of staff from the private and voluntary sector as a result of the fact that those nurseries can't compete with the wages from the council because there is not a fair funding formula. This has a direct impact on the capacity 
but also on the flexibility that the First Minister will remember that she promised that there would be available for parents across the country. This situation is stark now. So will the First Minister intervene and fix this situation? First Minister. Well, the fact of the matter is parents across the country uh, have more uh, childcare, funded childcare available and available more flexibly. Uh, and the funding uh, agreement between the Scottish Government and COSLA to support the expansion did allow local authorities to pay sustainable rates. I have recognised, however, uh, the issues that those in the private and voluntary uh, sectors are facing and I have given a commitment that we will continue to engage uh, with them to seek to address them. Question number six, Monica Lennon. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister whether the Scottish Government will convene an emergency summit on abortion health care in response to anti-abortion rights action in Scotland and around the world. First Minister. Women have the right to access abortion without fear or intimidation. To that end, let me say again to anyone wanting to protest against abortion, do it outside Parliament. Protesting outside hospitals or sexual health clinics targets women, not lawmakers, and it causes stress and anxiety to those accessing health care. That, in my view, is deeply wrong. Um, I support... I strongly support the introduction of buffer zones and the Government is actively considering how this Parliament can legislate in a way that is effective and also capable of withstanding legal challenge. I am also aware that Gillian Mackay uh, may shortly consult on a Member's Bill. On that latter point uh, about legality, members will be aware that the law on buffer zones passed in Northern Ireland has recently been referred to the Supreme Court. The outcome of that may have relevance for any steps we take here. In the meantime, though, as we consider and hopefully resolve issues around national legislation, we will support any local authority that is willing to use bylaws to establish buffer zones. Uh, finally, Presiding Officer, I am very happy to convene and indeed I will personally chair a roundtable summit to discuss buffer zones and indeed any other matters that need to be addressed to ensure safe and timely access to abortion services in Scotland within the current law. Monica Lennon. Thank you. I warmly welcome the First Minister's agreement to convene an urgent summit that more than a dozen women's organisations have called for and her personal commitment to chair the talks and facilitate politicians, campaigners and healthcare experts working together is hugely important and I thank her for this. Does the First Minister agree that we must use this forum to actively demonstrate our solidarity with women in America and around the world who fear their legal rights are slipping away whilst urgently taking action to deal with the challenges facing those accessing and providing abortion health care here in Scotland. And while operational policing matters are for Police Scotland, does she agree that it is important that any members of the public experiencing harassment or intimidation when seeking to access or provide abortion health care must feel confident that if they come forward to the police with any complaints, that they will be properly investigated. First Minister. I, I agree with all of that, but let me very briefly, presiding officer, uh, try to address uh, each of the points made. Uh, firstly, uh, I do agree, and I do agree that it is important to show solidarity on these issues, that the attack uh, we are seeing on uh, abortion rights, and let's uh, call that for what it is, that's an attack on the right of women uh, to control our own bodies. Uh, the attack we are seeing chiefly in the United States 
as a result of the concern about the overturning of Roe versus Wade, but we are seeing that in other countries is deeply uh, concerning. Um, and I believe in a woman's right to choose, uh, and I believe those of us uh, who hold that view have a duty to show solidarity uh, with those in other parts of the world where it is coming uh, under most significant uh, attack. Um, on the issue of police powers, um, of course, uh, these are operational matters for the police, and it would be wrong for me uh, to say how the police should use these powers, but there are powers uh, under antisocial behaviour uh, legislation uh, that are there for the police, should they judge uh, that it is appropriate to use them. Uh, but finally, presiding officer, everybody, everybody without exception, should have the right to access health care without fear and intimidation. And that applies to any woman, and no woman, no woman does this lightly, but that applies to any woman uh, seeking to access abortion services completely within the law. So again, I say to those who want to protest, it is in a democracy absolutely a right to protest. But come to Parliament and protest against lawmakers. Uh, do not cause women fear, anxiety and intimidation. John Mason. Hey, thank you, Presiding Officer. Uh, can I ask the First Minister if there is going to be a summit on abortion health care, would the 24-week uh, limit be under review? Because I think science and medicine have moved on since 1990, and many children are surviving at 23 weeks. First Minister. No, that would not be on the agenda of the summit I have agreed uh, to convene today. Uh, I do not support a reduction in the current uh, time limit for abortion. On the contrary, actually, I think the challenge in Scotland is to ensure that women who need to, and let me repeat, uh, that is something no woman does lightly, can access that right in a safe and timely manner. Julian Mackay. Thank you, thank you, Presiding Officer. As we've, heard from the first, as we've heard, the First Minister will be aware of the loud protests outside the Sandyford Clinic in Glasgow yesterday. Not only do these protests intimidate many of the people who use these services, clinicians have contacted me to say it also forced the clinic to close particular rooms on one side of the building due to the amplification system the protesters were using. As part of the summit that the First Minister has just committed to, would the First Minister ensure that cl clinical representatives and trade unions are present, as well as patients' representatives, to ensure that clinicians are not subject to harassment when simply doing their jobs? First Minister. Um, yes, I'll give that commitment. I would also take the opportunity to pay tribute to Gillian Mackay for the work she has done in this, and uh, I hope she will agree to take part in the summit uh, that we're talking about today. Um, in terms of the protests outside the Sandyford Clinic, um, even if it was uh, only providing abortion services, these protests, in my view, would be wrong because they cause uh, women intimidation and anxiety. Uh, but there's a range of sexual uh, health services provided by the Sandiford Clinic. The last thing anybody should be doing is making it harder for people to access those and making it harder for clinicians uh, to go about the jobs they do. Uh, so I will appeal again, uh, Presiding Officer, to those who want to protest. And let me underline this. It is a right in a democracy to protest. I am not questioning that in any way, shape or form. But the place to protest is where the laws are made. Uh, the people to protest to are us, uh, parliamentarians, lawmakers. Allow people uh, to exercise the right to access health care in the way all of us have a right to do, without any fear and intimidation and without added stress and anxiety. That is the decent thing to do. That concludes First Minister's questions. The next item of business is a member's business debate in the name of Magdalene.